welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Hey, greetings to you all. I feel like I know you all. Wow, what a great church. I've enjoyed the family of God here today. And it does, it feels really, really family. It's lovely, it's lovely just to have my wife Gay and daughter Kimberly with us and to just go through some memories. Father, as we come to this place right now, this precious place, this place where we enter into boldly, into your throne room, Lord God, to stand before you and look at you in the face and do it unashamedly. Say, Heavenly Father, we are here to honour and worship you. We are here, Lord God, to let our lives be a living tablet that you write upon, that other men might see our good works and glorify you. Father, thank you today. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Wow. I just want to thank Tony for uh, the invitation to come and share with you. And Kath, you know, uh, there are so many stories I could tell. (laughs) So many stories I could tell. And for the first moment, I have the microphone. (laughs) Uh, But we want to thank you both and your oversight for inviting us here with you today. I remember being invited to come and and take over just a small little church that was in a fairly sad and sorry state. And we had three young people. Tony, Kath, that's because Tony was there, and a young lady by the name of Amy. And we would uh, put these kids in the car and we would go and do things together, and not the least being some roller skating. In fact, I even, in fact, I still have my roller skates. And had I known that you were going to roller skate today, (laughs) I could have been tempted to have brought my own. I went ice skating just about six months ago, so the, as you said, the, uh, the old talents uh, don't completely go away. But uh, there was Tony skating around the rink up there on Milne Road, and I looked at him and I thought, I just looked at him for a moment, I saw a young guy skating around, and then I looked at him again and I said, God, what have you got for him? And so I beckoned him to come over, and he came. That was pretty good. (laughs) Pulled up on the rink. I was standing on the carpeted area. I said, Tony, have you ever considered that God may just have a purpose for you? In fact, I believe that he's got his hand upon you for ministry. And I could see by the registration on his face (laughs) that that wasn't quite on his horizon. That hadn't entered. That ship had not yet come into port. 
And so with that, he did. He spun around and he skated away. I thought, oh Lord, what have I done? I've just lost my first youth leader potential. <laughs> so it's great to be here. Oh, I remember we played a friendly game of soccer. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not really a soccer man. I'm more of an Aussie rules than... We enjoyed yesterday. I guess in this climate out here, there might be a few doggies fans that might be looking for another grand final your way. And to get rid of those South Adelaide boys from down south and the Eagles and a few of the others. But you know, there we were playing this friendly soccer game. Now it was friendly. It was supposed to be friendly. It was just our youth group. And, you know, most of us was dressed as well as we can. I didn't have any sprigged shoes, so I had a pair of Dunlop, you know, run out there, treads on you. We were slipping in the wet ground and all sorts of things. And, and, you know, there were a couple of guys that really knew how to play soccer, and I knew Tony was one of them. And, you know, we had hurled them scoreless the first term, the first half. And we had held them scoreless and there was only about five minutes to go in the second half. I'm going like, man, we are really good. And then just as sweet as you like, just tempted us. I'm standing right full back. There's a guy over and left full back. And one of the other guys brings the ball down that side of the pitch, does this cross and Tony came from I don't know where dove at the ball, hit it with his head, straight in the net. So for goodness me, we've been doing our bit here for the last hour and whatever, and uh, I think we even had a broken arm or a broken collarbone that day. It was a friendly game, and he had to spoil it by this dirt dive and this header into the net. But that was Tony. That was Tony. There was his car. Has he ever told you about his car? It would transform. I'd rush in and say, hey, we got someone new coming to church today. No, it was just a new coat of paint on Tony's car as it, as it changed and, and, uh, and uh, all sorts of things went on with that car. I remember later on then Pete arrived and Baz arrived and became part of our growing family. And I became, I found myself, or we found ourselves being integrated into the Rainbow family with uh, birthdays and engagements and weddings and all those sorts of things. And we uh, have got a great akin with the Rainbow family. And uh, I'm proud, I'm proud of Tony today and Kath. I'm proud of Peter. And there goes my memory. <laughs> Margaret, I think. And then Baz. No, it wasn't Baz, I'd forgotten. It was Peter's wife, Sally Ann. Yeah. And so there we were, part of this great family. And then I spoiled it all by leaving and going to another church, as I normally did from time to time. But I remember these great occasions. I'm so thankful that here today, it's been a great experience to share with you in what you've already had in, the, in that beautiful video clip of that testimony from a young lady over here. That's a great, that's a great testimony 
to the goodness and the glory of God. And I'm so thankful that we could share in that with you today. Look, I could bore you with a lot of stories, but I'm not going to because I've only got 40 minutes or 30 minutes. No, not even that now. 20 minutes. <laughs> Time marches on, waits for no man. But I'm so glad you made it out today. That, that's the number one miracle you got here today. And you're looking good, as Tony said already. Uh, praise the name of the Lord. So I want to talk to you today about listening to him. Listening to him. So somewhere up here, there'll be a slide come up in a moment. And uh, I want to share with you. Oh, look, there's a, fella, there's a bald head. Look at that. Oh, well, there you go. Well, now there's a bunch of rascals, you know, wouldn't you love a BB gun to try and pop, oh no, no, yeah, of course you wouldn't. Uh, okay, so we're going to turn to the scripture right now, and I pray that God speaks to your hearts as we share together in this time. We've just come back from three weeks in Malaysia, we are speaking to uh, some of the churches over in the Sarawak, which is East Malaysia. And uh, it was one occasion we had an opportunity to go out into the bush, out into the, de out into the jungle, really. It's not, not just bush, it's jungle. We were 150 mile, 155 k's or 60 k's from a place called Kuching. And uh, if you'd turned me upside down and spun me around, I wouldn't have known which way was out. But, you know, God knew where we were. God knew exactly where we were. We were sitting around in this long house, which is a, a bit like some of those old homes there in, uh, in, in Adelaide, which are all tight beside one another, and they have a long common veranda. And there'll be 25 or 30 families living off this one veranda. And so when mum and dad go out to work in the fields or go out in their other jobs, all the grandparents are there to look after all the kids that are there. And there are plenty of kids. And so we are seated in this, in this veranda. We've had a bit of refreshment. Time comes to share in, the, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a service. We'd sung for a bit. And I'm seated against the wall. And um, the, the, the national folk were gathering there and sitting around us. And... Uh, and this lady came and she sat, she was over on my right hand side and I was somewhat obscured by another gentleman sitting beside me. I know you find that hard to believe that someone could obscure me, but I was being obscured from her sight. And, and finally we got to the point where we had to stand up and praise God. Now for some of them, this was, this was possibly and most probably the first time they had seen white skinned people. And as I stood up beside this other guy, I, I, I was over the top of him by that, that much. This woman goes, and she begins to say this name. She begins to, she, she goes, oh, I, I, can't, I can't mimic it. But she begins to shout out this name. And I'm saying, what was she saying? What's she saying? And she said, she's saying giant, giant, <laughs> giant. So for her first introduction to someone with pale skin was, he's a giant! Right outside her field of experience. What did make me a bit glad was there's a, a, whole, there's a whole group of supermarkets in Malaysia called giant supermarkets. 
So I told the next church I was in they could all go down there, mention my name, and they'd get a free go, whatever they wanted to take, because the giant said they could come in. So there, we had a, we had a good time in Malaysia. We, we saw the blessing of God. God descended in that place way out in the middle of the sticks. We had a meeting that went for over four hours. People got healed. People with frozen shoulders that couldn't move their shoulders. There's no doctors out there. There's, there's nothing for them. They, they have frozen shoulders. God instantly healed them. This woman was ecstatic because suddenly she learned an English word, up. We said, put your hand up. And she began to say, up, up. And she, was, she just went off her face because she could say English word, up. And God had healed her arm. And she was thrilled. There were other people with leg problems and bone problems, joint problems and all sorts of things happened out there. You know, but what amazed me, what, what not amazed me, what blessed me the most uh, was out in the middle of the sticks, out in the jungle, God knew we were there. So whether you're in a concrete jungle or a vegetated jungle, God knows exactly where you are. He knows your name. He knows your difficulties. He knows your joys. He knows exactly what you're going through and he knows what you need. And he's there for you. He's there for you. All you need to do is acknowledge him and believe to receive it. That's all. It's simple. Matthew chapter 17 and verses 1 to 8 talk about a moment in Christ's life, an incident in Christ's life, which we loosely call that transfiguration experience. We call it the transfiguration experiences because we don't really know how else to explain it. We don't really know how else to describe it. He was transfigured. What does that mean? Something happened out there that we can't put an English word to easily. And so we try to describe it in our limited, in our limited vocabulary. In the preceding chapter, in chapter 16 and verses 24 through uh, to the end of that passage, about 31, Jesus has had some hard words to say to his disciples. He said to them, he said, unless you deny yourself and follow me, you're not part of what I am and what I'm doing. You know, sometimes God speaks to our hearts, even on a skate room floor, God speaks something to our hearts which, which crosses our self-life, which crosses what we wanted to do. And we are, just as, we are just as likely to turn around and say, get there behind me, Satan. And find ourselves be actually talking to God's spirit who's wanting to lead us somewhere. You can't take on anything new unless you let go of something old. Can't make anything different fit unless you let go. Sometimes you have to abandon yourself to God. Say, God, here I am. <laughs> take me. I don't know which part you're going to get, but take me. And he does and he will. So Jesus has been speaking to these men. They were tough probing questions. Some of the tough disciplines from God. He said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What could you give in exchange for your life? Is there anything? Could you get your hands on enough whatever 
to exchange it for your life you can't find and you won't find anything of enough value to give for your life it's beyond valuation by that I don't mean it's a train wreck by that I do mean that you can't be valued you're worth too much you're worth too much it didn't take something from heaven that was just on the sideboard it didn't take something from heaven that had been created it took the very son of God himself to pay the price for you that's the value of your life that's the value of who you are that's what God is prepared to pay for you because he loves you so much and chapter 17 verse 1 says now after six days Jesus took Peter and the first thing my mind says is what was he doing for those six days I want, I want to, what was he doing for those six days? Maybe you've read this passage of scripture, you've never asked yourself that question. Well, I've got to tell you, the scripture doesn't actually tell me what he was doing for those six days. But I do read where he would often go up the mountain and pray by himself. I do read where he would retire to a place where there weren't other distractions and spend time with the Father. I suspect maybe in this six days he was spending some time with the father maybe reading some of the Old Testament scriptures I don't know we're not told but he was doing something and in chapter and verse 2 it says and he was trans oh, sorry let me finish verse 1 verse 1 says uh, Jesus took Peter James and John his brother led them up on high by a mountain by themselves the four of them and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like, shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Mark 9, which is one of the other recordings of this experience, verse 3 says, They became whiter. He became whiter than anyone could launder his clothing. Whiter than blue rinso. Whiter than that out on TV now where that woman puts her thing out against and she looks at the lady next door and, oh my goodness, and she reels it back in and she washes it again and she puts it out and then the next, you know the one I mean, that one. Whiter, whiter, something was shining, something was glorious in what they were experiencing right there. They couldn't describe it. So often... When things happen to you, we struggle to describe what it is that God's doing to us. When God moves upon your heart, when God touches your life, it's hard to put words on it. You say, oh, I was in prayer. Oh, God opened this passage of scripture to me. Or oh, I read this or I saw that. Something happened and he spoke to my heart. And I'm, I'm struggling to express what happened to you. But oh, it's changed something on the inside. Here's what I've discovered. When you enforce change on the outside, nothing really changes. 
But when God gets a hold of your heart and you change on the inside, the outside quickly follows. Change of heart. Change of heart. And there was Jesus, shining. Lifted his hands, looked to the Father. He was so bright they could barely take it in. In fact, if you want to read it on in one of the other passages of Scripture, it says that during their prayer time, the disciples had kind of become sleepy. And here they were missing a great moment of opportunity. Here they were missing a great happening right in their lives, right before them. They were half asleep. Don't you ever miss the presence of God being half asleep? Ever start the nod off in church? Empower the person sitting beside you to give you a pinch or an elbow and keep you awake. Empower them. Say, you can do it. If you see me nodding off, please don't let me embarrass myself. I don't want to go to sleep when God might show up. I don't want to miss out on that. You know, it kind of reminds me as they try, as the English language struggles to describe this moment of transfiguration or this period of time that's encapsulated here. And, and in Revelation chapter 4, it begins to talk about the heavens. And, and, and it begins to describe the, the throne of God and the, and the sea of crystal and the colors and the beauty. And then it says this, and it says in the, the angels that are there, the seraphim that are there, they look up to God and they're, oh, holy, holy, holy. And they bow down and they worship him again. And they look up again. Oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Because every time they look to the throne, every time they looked at God, they saw something different about his wisdom and his magnitude and his beauty and his understanding and his plans and creativity. Every time they looked at him, they saw something fresh and all they could do is say, oh, holy, holy, holy is God. When you're glimpsing God like that, that's all you'll want to do. Say, God, you're great. Problem is with some of us as our glimpses of God are a little bit too far apart. We can remember, oh, there was one time when God touched my heart. Well, it should be a little bit more often than that. It'd do you good if it were a bit more often than that. And then... In Matthew 17, verse 3, it says this, Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to, him, to be hit to them, talking with him. And in Luke, it says that Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. I want to know, hey, Moses has been dead Fifteen, sixteen hundred years. Elijah, he's been gone a thousand years or thereabouts. What are these dudes showing up and talking to Jesus about? Who are they? What are they? What's their part to play in what's happening here? Where have they come from? 
have arrived and they're talking to Jesus. Thankfully, Luke gives us a bit of an indication where he says they were talking about his departure. Now, you're the son of God. You were born in a manger. Nothing too flash about that. In a stable, sorry, born in a, born in a stable and you slept in a manger. Because your life was under threat, before you were two years of age, you were taken away down to Egypt for a while. And then you came back. You got lost. Your parents forgot where you were. 12 years of age. Ah, oh, he's back at the temple. Oh, maybe we should go back and get him. There's some silent years. Most apprenticeships to carpentry, mechanicking, or painting are silent years when you do what the boss says. You can paint that side again. You didn't get the borders right. I can hear Keith right now. Come on, Tony, get your strokes right. Come on, that's too broad. You've lost your, you've lost your evenness there. We have to make this look nice because you have the rainbow name and if you do bad work, that reflects on me. Well, I want you to know we have a name given to us by God. And our lives now need to honour the God's life we reflect. So here's Moses. He's arrived there. I thought he was dead. Moses represents the law. Read the third and fourth books of the Old Testament and you'll discover about the implications of the law. I haven't got time to look at that too, did it? But the law wasn't a bad thing. A lot of people say the Ten Commandments were terrible. But when you've been a slave for 400 years, you have lost all semblance of the law. You've lost all semblance of authority. You've lost all semblance of, of what it is to be family, community, a nation. And the law of God was actually structuring them as a holy nation. And although the law was perfect, it was trying to constrain imperfect people. And all the law did was show them their imperfections. In fact, Paul writing in Galatians, he says, the law was our schoolmaster. You know, the dude that stands down the front of the room with the long stick and taps it on the board or on the table, says, look at this. Look at this. This is what you have to learn. The law was the schoolmaster to point us all towards Jesus because it could not accomplish what Jesus can. And so there was Moses as representing the law. And there was Elijah as representing the prophets, the prophetic voice, the moving of the Spirit of God, the miraculous, God's intervention in, in man's doings. There was Elijah representing the Spirit of God. And here they were talking to Jesus about his departure, about the cross. 
You better believe that the Son of Man needed some encouragement to know that this sacrifice that he was about to make, this giving of his life, this pathway that he was walking down, was going to need, he was going to need some encouragement to carry it through. For he cried out in the garden, not my will be done, Father, but thy will. Because he thought then as the burden of sin, as the understanding was birthing upon him, he thought then that he might die. He'd become so weakened that an angel came and strengthened him. And here's Jesus talking to these men. You see, they all knew that their roles were all pointing forward to Jesus. They all understood that their role was a preparatory role, that their role was getting the place ready for the arrival of the perfect you remember when Jesus turned to John the Baptist at water baptism and John said, oh, hey, it's not me, that, it's not you that should be, hey, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, permit it at this time that I might fulfill all righteousness. You see, the sacrifice that Jesus accomplished on that cross is absolutely 100% perfect and foolproof it's been done once for all you can't tamper with it you can't adjust it you can't add to it it is sufficient and good enough it's all that we require and so these men were talking to Jesus now, here comes our part. Luke 9.32 says, When Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory, and they saw the two men standing. I, I want to know this. How did he know? How did Peter know the, who these two men were? How did he know it was Moses and Elijah? I don't have an answer for you for that question. But he knew. Talk about falling asleep at a critical moment. Talk about being out of things. There's a lesson there for us. To be awake, tuned in, locked in, engaged. Because you never know when your critical moment will be with God. You don't know how many critical moments you, you in your life might have. I remember riding a motorbike. I remember speeding. I remember having a drag with another guy on his bike. And I remember a Simca Aron doing a right hand turn in front of me. I just reached, I just reached a critical moment. My nose hit the little gutter above the front left-hand door. My bike's front wheel disappeared underneath the frame, under the motor. I knocked the front door right off the car. But I did a couple of neat somersaults in midair. But I knew my, my, knew my new helmet was all right because that was in the saddlebag because I didn't want to get it scratched. <laughs> so I knew that was safe. 
And I landed on the flat of my back like a sack of spuds. Boom. We were lying there. Just out the corner of my eye, I could see the other bike pull up and the guys were running back to me as sense was coming back to me. I heard them say, are you all right? Are you all right? The first words out of my mouth was, yes, I'm okay. We were doing 60, 60, which was 60 miles, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 60 kilometers. We were, I think it was in those days it was 35. We were doing 35, 35. Guilty, lying half dead on the ground. Preparing my story to whoever needed to have the story told to them. <laughs> Trying to escape what God was. But that was a critical moment for me. And there have been others. So Peter bounces out of the blocks. I love Peter. I just, I love him. Because every time I do a dumb thing, I say, yeah, but if Peter was here, he would have got there a split second before me. I may have to apologize to Peter one day for that comment. But when you read the New Testament, Peter, if ever you feel like an idiot, have you ever done anything you really feel like a dimwit, like, man, only someone with no brains at all would do that? Have you ever, you ever been there and done Yeah, many times. Thankfully, Peter has shown the way for us. But I remind you that Jesus looked at Peter and says, I'm praying for you, buddy. I'm praying for you. If he prayed for Peter, he's praying for you too. Praying for you. The Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, resting. He's finished. It's finished. It is finished, was his cry. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And in the New Testament, seven references to him being at the right hand of the Father. Only one has him standing up. And you know what that is? At the stoning of Stephen, he gets off his chair, off his throne, and he comes over that he might look over the balustrade of heaven as he cares about Stephen. Don't tell me, don't tell me that God does not know, that Jesus does not care about who you are and where you are and what's happening in your life. Peter bounces out of the blocks. Oh, man alive. This is really cool, Lord. We're here with you. This is really great. I can hear him now. Man. But he doesn't know what to do. It's such an experience. He knows he's half missed it, but it's so wonderful. He doesn't know. He says, oh, oh, let's hang on to this moment. Let's keep it here for a bit. He said, let's build three tents. Why would you want to be harnessed in a little canvas tent or some palm leaves when the glory of God has just shone over you, I ask you. But Peter's only place to go was let's make a little tent. Let's maintain this. Let's keep this little sanctuary. Let's do something right now that we can hang on to this moment. Verse 5 of Matthew 17 says this while he was still speaking 
a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice said, This is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. (laughs) Terrified, they dropped to the ground. Where did that voice come from? The voice does not acknowledge Moses or Elijah. The voice does not berate Peter for his enthusiasm or his mistaken activity or his lack of comprehension and understanding. The voice simply says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Because Moses the law and Elijah the prophet for the Spirit of God was handing everything over. They were saying, we've run our race. We've done our bit. Now the the perfect is here. The imperfect can fade away. Jesus, here's our baton. You're the hero. You're the man of the moment. You're the man of eternity. They wanted to step away into history. They wanted to fade off into the background because the center point of all that God had planned, the very focus of all God's initiatives was there in the midst of them. Only Pete said, we can do something. And God said, God the Father said, this is my This is his ownership. Beloved son is relationship. And well pleased is his life is A1, acceptable. Peter's request was denied. In time of trouble, listen to him. In time of need, listen to him. When you need direction, listen to him. Sometimes even no answer is an answer. I found that if there's a door to go through, somehow God lovingly either puts his hand in the middle of your back and gives you a gentle push, Or he sinks his number 11s into your tail. (laughs) And if it's not a doorway to go through, as much as you can see an opportunity, a doorway, the door remains shut. Don't push it open. Don't take out your jigsaw and cut a hole in it and scramble through. Don't do it. If you don't get the green light, then don't go. God has the capacity and the ability to get you through whatever doorway he wants you to be in. Where he sends you, he'll provide for you. Where he uses you, he'll empower you. Our difficulty is we get too busy rushing around in our own energy to hear. 
Moses' problem as he needed to bring water out of the rock for the people was he had allowed the cantankerousness of the people to get to him and he didn't hear the command from God. Numbers 20, he didn't hear the command from God that you shall speak to the rock and water will come out. He was so caught up in the words of the people around about him, he went out and he hit the rock. God said, You've just broken the pattern. First Corinthians 10 tells us that the rock that followed them, that gave them water, was Christ. And Christ was only once ever going to be struck for sin. In that experience, the children of Israel got water. But God said to Moses... For not keeping me holy before the people, you will not enter the land of promise. Oh, I've thought about that a lot. And I've decided, I'm so glad I live this side of the cross and not that side. I'm so glad I live in the grace of God and not under the law of God. I'm so glad I live in the place of the Holy Spirit, able to speak to my heart and not elsewhere. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came to them and touched them and he said to them, Arise and do not be afraid. He has those same words for you today. Arise. Don't be afraid. I was listening to a tape of your pastor this week. I heard him say a little phrase a few times over. He said, listen up, folk, listen up. Message for you, listen up to God. Sometimes God will speak through your pastor. That's a scary thought. It's a good thought, though. Listen up, listen up. And finally in verse 8, it says this. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The law was gone. It was about to be fulfilled. Before someone picks me up theologically, the law is still in place for those without Christ. But for those who are in Christ, the law is fulfilled. The Old Testament miracles. Oh, man. You had to have an Elijah or Elisha or a Balaam or a Samson or someone, a Samson or a, or a Samuel, someone nearby to see the Spirit of God move. But you and I today, we have the Spirit of God living within each one of us. This is the age to be alive, not then. This is the moment of our victory and the only thing that we're asked to do is listen to Him. Listen to Him. Wherever you are in life, whatever your sphere is, whatever your strata is, whatever your vocation is, whatever your activity is, whatever your circumstance is, whatever your difficulty, whatever your joy, whatever you are, listen to Him. He has the answer for you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
is in fact God's only answer. His only answer. And right now, he's listening to you. Right now, he has an ear bent toward you. He hears those requests of our heart. And if our hearts are open to him, he speaks to us too. Can I have you bow your heads, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love, your mercy, your tender kindness toward each one of us. Thank you for speaking to us this day. Thank you for touching our lives. Thank you for touching our hearts. I pray today, Lord God, as we would open our hearts to you, as by your spirit you've spoken into our lives this day. I thank you, Lord God, that you are confirming and affirming your covenant, your love, your graciousness toward each one of us. I thank you, Lord, for your love toward us. That you will never leave us, neither will you forsake us. And Father, I pray for that one who doesn't know you. Lord, as they sense the drawing of your spirit upon their heart, as they sense that, that movement within their being that they cannot fully describe except that something is stirring on the inside. Lord, I thank you for faith being created there by the Spirit of God, that they would dare to believe that you are their God and their sins can be forgiven and they can have a home in heaven with you and a family to belong to. Father, thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless and love you. It's been wonderful to be with you today. Thank you, Pastor Tony. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.